there is so much uh, i remember a point in time where i came into a bike shop and i just like really felt guilty because uh i needed my my bike there was something wrong with my cargo bike and i didn't know what and i knew that i would i would probably there was something i should have been doing that i wasn't doing and i didn't know what and i felt ashamed and i felt um, so sort of terrified to ask stupid questions and I just like didn't feel at ease uh, at all, um, and then I just as as a user experience designer, it's like really clear to me that if this setting was more inviting and and sort of made me feel more at ease, I would sort of gravitate to it more easily. Actually, one of our core value we have three core values in the company, and it's joyful, practical, and transformational. So it's like that's what it's all about. Welcome to Bite Size, a series where we highlight innovation across transport, mobility and smart cities and meet the people that are making it happen. My name is Emily Bobbis. I'm a road intelligence startup founder and my goal is to combat the stigma that transport is uncool, uninteresting and uninspired. Well, Carrie Ann, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about your background and introduce yourself and let the listeners know what you're passionate about. I would love to. Um, my name is uh, Karianne or Karianne, uh, and I am by training or by profession a um, designer working with uh, systemic design and uh, service design and user experience design, mainly to the point of uh, that I have been working a lot with making things online less annoying. And uh, since 2017, I started, I went solo and did independent consulting as a designer and tried to, my goal was to work uh, on a triple bottom line with people, um, planet profit. I decided that the best way to do that was to work within mobility and sustainable mobility and cycling. Parallel to that, I'm also been, I've also sort of been raising my family on a cargo bike. We got our first cargo bike in 2013 and uh, it sort of blew my mind. And I've been into the cargo bike community here and also the Cyclist Association uh, leading the Oslo chapter for a couple of years. So I was like drawn into activism and uh, a sort of political work through the experiences I had on my own. Me and my husband have a total of five kids, some of them getting bigger now, but um, <laughs> four of them living here with us. And uh, we live like carless in um, the, the old part of the city in Oslo called Gamlebyen. Excellent. How do you find living with four to five kids and being carless? Because I can imagine a lot of people in other cities would be like, I could never do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, the thing was when we moved together uh, here in 2012, we just decided to just try uh, car sharing for six months just to do it as like a trial because the um, we live in an apartment building and there is like street parking here, which is a nightmare for everyone who lives in the city. <laughs> uh, and, and that's fine. So we decided to check if that was um, something that would work for us. Uh, because, I mean, I have uh, parents on the countryside and we 
are quite active family with like sport kids and stuff like that. And my my husband is a coach as well, and I used to coach. So we we sort of get around a lot. But then we learned that car sharing just really did the job for us, and that compared uh, combined with uh, with the cargo bike just like solved more or less everything we needed. So we just kept on and just felt like in a weird way super free i think it's uh, and i know it, it was a barrier to us as well i've been growing i've grown up in the countryside and i've sort of been used to cars all my life but when we i i feel that the e-bike sort of offers the freedom that the car promises in a way in the in the urban context so yeah it's been way less burdensome than we imagined ourselves really and you've actually got your own initiative. I'm a little bit terrified to pronounce it because there is an exclamation mark in there. Um, <laughs> I might be overthinking it. Did you, did you want to introduce it and um, tell us the story behind it and, and the problem that it's solving? Yeah. Uh, so our company's name is We. And it's like you write it like a W-H-E-E exclamation point. But the name of the company is what the kids squeal when they ride they the kids sit in the back of the bike and they will instantly squeal wee when they like go downhill or something so that's the that's the name of the company uh and the company is um cargo bike subscription service uh so we offer compact mid-tail cargo bike that's like not the traditional box bike but a cargo bike with a, a elongated rear rack with a space for two kids or depending on the model. Um, uh, and we've bundled that with um, a kind of a all-inclusive service with insurance and maintenance. Um, in this climate, we also do like winter tires. Um, we clean the bikes and we lubricate the chains and everything. And so we just maintain the bike for you. So our users, they have a low point of a low cost point of entry to the service and they have like maintenance over time and like if you get a flat we will come help you real fast and stuff like that that's the service we <laughs> it's um it's very much a name you can't say without being happy i think which is kind of nice actually one of our core value we have three core values in the company and it's joyful practical and transformational so it's like that's what it's all about really that's awesome it's it it's kind of nice to have because there's roadside assistance for cars where someone will come and help you if you've got maintenance issues and it's kind of nice to have the same thing for bikes uh yeah i think so. i mean we what we see is that we attract a whole new type of uh sort of customer into this space and it's really important for us to sort of make them feel uh, enabled and a lot of the regular um uh, like the bike culture is like all about like maintaining yourself and understanding the mechanics and everything but i think that's excluding a lot of people from actually adapting the bike as a mode of transportation so we're all about sort of lowering the barriers and including more people who who can potentially have benefit from using this mode of transportation so you've kind of touched on it, but why is solving this problem important? So that exclusion piece, I think, was quite um, important in that. And on our phone call before this podcast, you'd mentioned something called the Dawn Patrol. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's that's a really cool thing here in Oslo, but it's also it's it's a group of like very um hip guys who go on a pre-dawn or they go on like a pre-sunset uh bike ride every week. Uh and it's like the coolest guys, you know, it's the ones that they're featured in magazines and they're super cool, but it's also like I'm a I'm a mom and I have like, I all like almost always have like something I carry underneath my arm and I just like tend to kids and I, so like cycling to me is not really, I don't identify as a cyclist and I don't really feel the need to do that either. I just, just found out that riding a cargo bike and an e-bike is something that sort of makes the pieces of the puzzle that is my everyday life click in place, into place. And that's super valuable for me it saves me so much time in my everyday life so i i don't really i i love the sort of the aesthetic and the finesse and the beauty of like road cycling but it's not for me yeah it's beautiful but it's like it has nothing to do with me (laughs) and my my type of needs so it it sounds like being able to have this other side of cargo bikes and cycling and approach it from a very non-judgmental way is is really important. And you mentioned something in the call, again, before this podcast, about wanting to focus on giving and adding, not removing. Yeah, I mean, and now I'm like, when you're saying in the call previous, like, what did I say? What did I say? (laughs) (laughs) No, just kidding. No, but I mean, we, it's really important, um, to just try to lower the barriers of usage and entry. And just like, there is so much, uh, I remember a point in time where I came into a bike shop and I just like really felt guilty because uh, I needed my, my bike. There was something wrong with my cargo bike and I didn't know what, and I knew that I would, I would probably, there was something I should have been doing that I wasn't doing. And I didn't know what, and I felt ashamed and I felt uh, sort of terrified to ask stupid questions. And I just like, didn't feel at ease uh, at all. Um, And then I just, as, as a user experience designer, it's like really clear to me that if this setting was more inviting and, and sort of made me feel more at ease, I would sort of gravitate to it more easily and it wouldn't feel as exclusive as it did at the time. So, uh, yeah, we just, I, we really think that it's it's about sort of opening up this space to a whole new user group. And that is very like beneficial for them because you have a great experience in your everyday life using this as a mode of transportation Uh, and it's also very beneficial for society because it's it's low cost it's low impact it's low um uh it's like non-pollutive and it's not dangerous to other people in the city so you were also part of a program called Empowerism. So for, for people who are listening who are not familiar, Empowerism is a, uh, a global mobility uh, accelerator uh, which is held by a Canadian mobility agency called MoveMe who are based in Vancouver. And it's all about uh, WISM stands for Women in Shared Mobility. So Empowerism is all about getting women and women-owned companies that are in mobility a little bit of exposure and and kind of guidance on how to expand those businesses. Uh, and so you were part of that program. What 
was that experience like and why was that program valuable to you? Mobility is, well, it's not a female-dominated space. And that is not, transportation planning is not, and cycling industry is not very female-dominated, or micromobility is not either. So I think it's really important to sort of spotlight the um, the sort of differences because also travel patterns vary so much between the genders so it's if you sort of disregard the user needs of half of the population you will get transportation systems and solutions that doesn't really work that well so that's why it's really important to sort of leverage and be more balanced when it comes to like gender and transportation Uh, that's also why i was really impressed with um, the program so and i mean we i did the the interview with the jury of the of the um, of the price like standing outside my kids gym well they went to like a exercise and I had ridden a bike there and I was like standing and the tram was going by so I was like everything I did in regards to that was kind of a on the on top of everything else but it's I mean it's been so I was very surprised when we won I was and super I mean super humble I mean we won in front of a really really great Brazilian um, project called Nina which is about safety in um, in public transit and also a EV charging company from Brooklyn so that was like wow <laughs> kind of mind-blowing to to getting to sort of be prioritized over that but I also maybe feel that it was sort of an acknowledgement of the kind of radical approach that we take it's like low-key but still kind of radical um so uh yeah it was it's been really i'm really proud of being sort of named the winner of uh, and be given that award it's super humbling and i'm super proud yeah congratulations by the way (laughs) (laughs) thanks what are some of the the challenges you faced in your journey you've kind of talked a little bit about your experiences uh as to why it started, because you'd, you'd go into these places to get your cargo bike fixed and they felt very exclusionary and you felt uh, like you didn't belong in that space. Uh, so what, what's the kind of um, the challenges that you've come across? Our, our biggest challenge as a business as of now is actually asset financing. So uh, since we sort of own these bikes that we uh, offer to our customers as a subscription, it would have been super easy to do this with a car subscription service because a, a car is sort of a financial instrument and there's an asset class and you can go to a bank and they will like shower you with um, with a loan to, to sort of offer this into the public. But for us who do like a cargo bike, which is kind of a new thing, like a very, it's a very expensive bike, but it sort of replaces a car in more ways. Um, so there is no uh, financial instrument that makes banks say, oh, yes, that's a great idea. Here you have some money. Even if we have contracts signed with customers for them, it's still a major challenge to finance the bank, the, the bike fleet. So uh, that's something that's, uh, of course, a major hindrance to our uh, expansion because we have so much uh, customer interest and uh, and sort of could easily double the amount of uh, bikes that we offer today if that was an option. And I mean, as a a female, like going into the sort of venture space and talking about uh, trying to secure funds and sort of sell stocks in our company and do emissions um, when we know that 
around 2% or less of the VC capital, like the risk capital globally goes to female-led teams. It's kind of an uphill struggle. <laughs> but I mean, the, the fact that we are making money and uh, are sort of on a route towards profitability and have like a very good unit economics is uh, is something that sort of works in our favor now. And it, that was a shift that happened last year. So it's like more about the sort of funding and financial aspects of, of the, um, the business that's uh, challenging. But um, the other, like the main, the main challenge and the main sort of goal of all this is I really want more people on these bikes because they look like one thing, but when you experience them in your life, and use them as a mode of transportation, there's something completely else. So everyone who's like, when you first ride, when you ride your first e-bike and start to sort of uh, use that in your daily life, it's kind of an epiphany. And we want more people to experience that epiphany, but it's also very difficult to explain the epiphany in a way. So, um, so that's also a challenge, like a communication that we are always working to solve. Yeah, it's very interesting that it seems your your challenge or the the barrier of uh, placed by formal financial instruments is almost like a, a reflection of the value that society places in bikes and and micro mobility schemes uh, and the VC funding aspect, particularly for women, doesn't help. Um, I was like nodding my head at that stat. I was like, in Australia, it's like 0.7% of VC funding went to female founders last year. Oh, it's so bad. So bad. Even when you were talking about the percentage of women in transport in Australia, the statistic is like less than 30% of the workforce is female. And then I think only less than 4% of that are women who hold CEO or C-suite positions. And then the gender pay gap in Australia is like 3% higher in transport than it is across other industries. I'm like, oh my God, when will it stop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, um, this uh, sort of um, focus through the, like the Empower Wisdom and initiatives like that are like sorely needed globally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So kind of at the pointy end of my questions, um, what is one question that you wish more people would ask you more often? I mean, it's not the questions I'm the one to answer, but it's a question that I really wish that um, was sort of more prominent in the media discourse. And it's uh, just like a more critical take on why we do innovation and who we do innovation for, especially like in the mobility space and the, uh, the public uh, innovation space. Um, and that's, and when I think about that, it's like in regards of um, new transportational solutions and smart city solutions and stuff like that. It, the funds going into that would be so much more well spent with like better systemic solutions that can actually be implemented now. So it's yeah. like, it's not the, but but how can we sort of, how can we change things now instead of like spending so much energy on solutions that might not even happen when we know that 
innovation through policy change and through regulation and through sort of reprioritization of uh, space and uh, and funding and everything would be a, a more efficient and sort of solution that will benefit more people sooner. That's uh, something I love to talk about and I wish more people would ask me about or mm. ask the ones in charge of this about. <laughs> yes, I think innovation is really cool and that's also why it's it's very... Uh, it can get misleading for to just have innovation for innovation's sake and not think about the goal or, or the practical outcomes for a particular project. Yeah, I mean, I wish for from coming from the tech industry and like being sort of a user agent within that industry for a long time, I just wish that that sort of the societal constraint and the environmental constraints and the sort of why are we doing this would be uh, I, I wish we could work more in the intersection between society, environment and technology instead of like being completely technology driven and then doing like tech in it's like tech first innovation. Uh, mm. I would like to work that especially like public bodies work more in the intersection of those three. So out of everything that we've talked about today, what would you want to be? Uh, the one thing, the key takeaway for people listening. If you haven't tried an e-bike or an electric cargo bike and you have like mainly short trips and you live in a city, just do it. Try one, go to a shop, try one, just lend one, uh, get into the cargo bike community and try one before you sort of judge um, what it is because it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, really really practical and great and it also sort of gives you uh especially for me like when you have kids it gives you more time in your everyday life in a period of time where you that's the one thing you lack excellent and how can people connect with you uh we uh, you can. We have a, an English like temporary website called We Bike, so you can check that out. And there's an email uh, there. Um, we. I'm also on LinkedIn with my full name and uh, on Twitter, mainly in Norwegian and Mastodon. So I'm not that much on Twitter anymore, but I used to be a lot. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the most uh, normal way to get in touch at the moment. <laughs> Perfect. I'll um, I'll also include all those links in the show notes that we publish on Substack. So uh, very easy to find all of these things as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, I would love to give a shout out to my Australian uh, sort of collaborator and uh, mentor and very inspiring man, uh, Dr. Stephen Fleming, who's in Newcastle. Uh, he was also one of the reasons why I sort of got into this very progressive idea of uh, sort of leveraging cycling into a service and sort of thinking differently about that. Perfect. Thanks, Stephen, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Carrie-Anne, to talk through um, cargo biking and all of the, the kind of ins and outs involved with that. Um, and for, for sharing your, your story and your experience starting we. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really great. 
If you'd like to learn more about any of the guests that we have on the podcast, more about Bite Size, or more about Compass IoT, the company that produces this podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.compassiot.com.au. Until next time.